Hello and welcome to the Free Life Community Church Podcast. My name is John DeLille, and I'm the communications guy at Free Life Community Church in Terre Haute, Indiana. Each week, Senior Pastor Dan Willis brings a rich, detailed, and relevant message grounded in Scripture, which is recorded on Sunday mornings and made available for you right here. You can find more messages at freelifecc.com or in the Google Play and iTunes podcast app. Hey, if you've benefited from listening to these messages, we ask that you try to help us out. You can help us out in two different ways. First, you can give us a rating in the app store that you use. Secondly, share this podcast with a family member, a friend, or a colleague. This really does help us to get these messages into the hands of the people who can really benefit from them. All right, without further ado, here's Senior Pastor Dan Willis. Good morning, Free Life Community Church. How are you today? What a glorious day. I look outside and I see all those piles of snow and I say, what a glorious day. Yeah. Welcome to our Mecca campus. Glad you could join us today. Hopefully everything is all cleaned out up in Park County. Uh, welcome to those of you listening online. We're grateful to have you today. Thank you for being with us and, and, and choosing to spend time with Free Life Community Church. I think we've got a pretty good church. What do you think? Got a great church here. O- only one person clapped. Oh. <laughs> yeah. And so, uh, you know, friends, uh, Interesting, uh, as we continue in our sermon series, this is our second uh, message in the series, uh, Why Do I Need the Church? You would think that it would be an obvious answer to a rhetorical question. And, you know, if we, if we began at the beginning over here and went all the way through the pews and everybody online or at Mecca and you guys would, would anybody listening would, would chime in, probably if I asked you, why do you need the church, you would come up with a lot of different answers. And, and the reason is because we're self-centered in our desires. We, we, we typically pick a church and go to a church for what we can get out of it. Is that, is that accurate, you think? We, we, we pick a church based on what we like about it or what we think we can get there. Agreed? Come on, let's be honest. It isn't often that we go and say, oh, goody, let's see how I can serve in this church. I mean, some do that, but I think that most people uh, pick a church based on what programs it has for their children, uh, whether the worship is uplifting to them or not, they enjoy being a part of it, uh, whether the pastor's any good at being a minister or can preach or teach or that sort of thing, uh, whether or not they like the people around them, uh, whether they like the location where the church is, whether they like the aesthetics of the facility, whether or not... uh, the, the service is just, you know, like the three bears. It's uh, too short, too long, or just right. How accurate is that? And I could go on about these things. This is how and why we choose churches. And let's face it. People have gone to a church or not based on the sermon or the the message or, or the length being too long or too short or just right. We, we have uh, left a church because, well, let's face it, so-and-so was sitting on the other side of the church and I don't much care for him, so I'm not going to go there anymore. Or somebody said something or didn't say something or somebody did something or didn't do something or I was there and nobody said anything to me. You know, there are a variety of reasons why we go or don't go to a church. Most of them are rather unfair and unrealistic. 
Because going to church isn't for you. I think President Kennedy said it right, and I'm going to steal his line. He said, ask not what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country. And everybody jumped on board of that and said, oh, yes, until we went to war. <laughs> then they weren't so excited about it. Then people started spitting on our service members and protesting. And I remember those days. I was alive then. Vietnam was a, a rough time in our nation. But I have to tell you, friends, that kind of translates into the church today. I don't know that we're spitting on each other. But sometimes I look at Christianity across the board, at all the various different denominations and various churches, and I think, well, no wonder people don't want to be part of it. Because we don't act very Christian sometimes. Have you ever noticed that? The church doesn't really act very Christian sometimes. We're rather secular in our thought process of why we choose it, why we stay, or why we leave it. And why we even go in the first place. And so why you need the church is an important lesson because it isn't about you. We want to make it about ourselves. Society has made it about ourselves. Satan has made it about us for, for now. But it isn't. And aren't you grateful that your Savior saved you? And aren't you grateful that he did it for you and would have done it if you were the only person that needed it? And aren't you grateful that he looked ahead in time when he was on the cross and saw you and thought that you were worth it? And so when you come to church, it's kind of obvious as to why you need it. But unfortunately, because of various things, busyness or life or this situation or that, we won't go to church and we'll make every excuse under the sun why we're not. Because it's about us now. We'll say it isn't, and then we'll use the excuses that we think are reasonable and say, well, you know, but I'll get back. And the fact of the matter is, we have people in every congregation across around the world today that still haven't come back to church for one various reason or another. We can blame COVID. We can blame uh, lack of practice. We can blame the things in life we do. We can blame a lot of different things. But it's a fact. And the truth is, we go to church when we want to, and we don't when we don't. We determine how often we attend. We determine what events we'll go to or not. We determine, it, well, sometimes we don't even make the decision until we get up that day. We had intentions to go, but ah, just don't feel like it. Now, and I'm going to confess something to you. There are some Sundays I've gotten up, and I probably wouldn't have come, but I did because I'm the pastor. And you would have something to say about that probably. But see, I don't have that luxury. And you know what? I'm grateful that I don't. Because every time that I've come when I didn't feel like it, God did something. And I was grateful that I was here. See, you think pastors are exempt from that statement. We're not. And yet, as I... As I began to put the sermon series together, I realized very quickly that the reasons why I thought I needed the church are not the reasons I need the church. And I'm hoping through this series that you will understand why you need the church. And last week, we talked about 
we need the church because we are better together. I have learned that I am stronger and greater with you than I am without you. And I suspect if you look around your congregation and you get to know people and you realize that they love and care for you, that you are stronger with them than you are without them. That's why Jesus said, you must congregate together. And the writer of Hebrews said, stop not meeting like some have. And so when people tell me, well, you know, I don't, I don't really need to be there. I can watch online or I can watch it on TV. No, you can't. If there's a reason for you to do it, I understand. If you, if you have illness, sure. If you, if you have physical ailments and things that being exposed to possible COVID, listen, I get that. More power to you. Please do that. Be safe. But if you can be here or it can be within a fellowship, then you should be. Because you miss an element if you don't. And God wants you to get the fullness of what he offers, not portions of it. And when he died on the cross for you, he gave what? Everything. And when he gave it, he gave it freely. And he wants you to experience all of it. Every last bit of it. And he wants you to have your salvation and get this, have it to the full. I don't want to be partially saved. Anybody? I don't want to get a glimpse of heaven. I want to experience it. I don't want a portion of the Christian life and the benefits that come with it. I want the whole darn thing. Anybody with me here? So this is why you need the church and why you need the fellowship. And today, rather than just being better together, not only are we better together, we are better praying together too. And so this message is on prayer. And if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 3. And this is the Apostle Paul as he writes to the church at Ephesus, which was a very difficult place to be in his time. And just like when I was trying to keep 641 open and I couldn't no matter what I did, it seemed like every single time Paul would make a little bit of headway in this city, it would all go awry again. Because everybody wanted to do what they wanted to do. And what he found is some wanted salvation, some didn't. And some wanted salvation, but they wanted to continue, continue to live life like they always had before, which was not what God desired for them, nor did he allow. And it seems to me that things haven't changed much today. Everybody wants heaven and salvation, but we're not sure we want to identify with the cross. We're not sure we want to make the changes that God requires in our lives to be the Christian he desires of us, and more than that, that pleases him, because if we don't, we don't get all of the things he wants to bestow. So in other words, what we're basically saying is, you know, God, uh, I want everything, but I'm not willing to work for it. That'd be like going to your employer and saying, I want your paycheck, but I'm not going to do anything for it. How, how far would you get? Right? So we're asking God for every benefit he offers, but we're not sure we're willing to give much for it. Now, it isn't about works here. And God isn't asking you for that. He's asking you to surrender your life to him. And there's going to be some requirements when you do. Agreed? And so Paul is talking about those things to the church at Ephesus. And here he talks about his prayer for them and the reasons why he does so. He says, I have to pray for you because if I don't, you might not make it. 
I believe in my, my God, and I believe that my prayers are powerful and effective. He doesn't say that here, but that's his meaning. And he says, if I pray for you, God will listen. And he will do for me, because I ask, that it be done for you. The prayers of a righteous Christian are powerful and they are effective. And imagine what would happen if we all did that and prayed together collectively. How powerful would the church be? That's your message today. For this reason, verse 14, I kneel before the Father. I can't get past that first line. For this reason, I kneel before the Father. I come prostrate before Him. And I drop to a knee, and I acknowledge who He is, and I humble myself before Him. God, you are God. And I kneel before the Father. Notice he says the Father. From whom His whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. In other words, God has a family on earth and in heaven. Are you, are you getting this yet? <coughs> Excuse me. He says, I pray out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray, here's another prayer, that you, being rooted and established in love, may have, get this, power together with all of the saints. In other words, you can't be an island in this. To grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And in other words, you can't see the depth and the breadth of the love of Christ unless you are together. You'll never see it alone, which is why he adds togetherness here. What a beautiful concept. And not only that, to know this love that surpasses all knowledge. You see, we think we know what's going on. But until you meet with the Father, you really don't. Why? That you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Friends, I want that. I want the fullness of God. If you want it, say, I want it. If you want the fullness of God, say, I want it. If you want a portion of God, say, well, I just want a portion. And nobody did. You know why? Because you really don't. But you act in the manner that you do. I know that because we've all done it. Amen? Now listen to this. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. Immeasurable. It's not, it's not measurable. According to his power that is at work within us, right? To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. That is Paul praying for the church. Capital C. He could really even put Catholic church there. Because that means church universal, the whole thing. Because, friends, I don't just pray for this congregation. I don't just pray for the Wesleyan church. I pray for all Christian churches of every faith. I pray for the church universal. Anybody else do that? It's important. Do I pray for the Catholic church down the street, Roman Catholic church? You bet I do. 
Do I pray for the Baptist church over here? You bet I do. I don't agree with their theologies necessarily, but I pray for them because we are better together than we are separate. And the church is more powerful when we're together than we are separate. And we may disagree on a few things, but we agree on the big things, that Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world, that His Father is in heaven, and they are part of the Holy Trinity, which is imparted to us by the power of the Spirit that lives within. Amen? We believe those things as Christians. Yes? Okay. And God is the Alpha and the Omega and everything in between, and we are not. We only have what we have because He's allowed it and desired it for us. Amen? God is God. That's important. Why do I need the church? Because I need you to pray for me. I need to pray for you, and we need to pray together. And we need to pray for things, friends, that sometimes we don't. I have a clip for you. Uh, there was, uh, there's, a, there's a priest, a Roman Catholic priest, that I think is just downtown. This guy and I could hang out and talk because we have the same belief system here. We believe that people are, could be a whole lot better Christians than they are. And that we could give more to God than we do. And he didn't pull any punches. And I've, I've played him a couple times here. In South, he did a men's conference in Pennsylvania. Uh, and uh, I take excerpts from it. And this is a perfect example of the games that we play. And he's not afraid to tell, tell the men that. And so, this is Father Larry Richards. Listen up. Pastor Jonathan. But we need to make sure that we agree to certain things. We're going to go through the commandments very briefly. So do you pray every day? This is not an option. If I was to ask you what's the greatest sin, what would you say? Murder, rape, abortion. Yeah, all those things you don't do. It's really easy to judge other people. <laughs> How about you? The greatest sin, gentlemen, don't you think the greatest sin would be breaking the greatest commandment? What's the greatest commandment? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, and all your strength. So I've met John Paul II, Mother Teresa of Calcutta. I've never met anyone who loves God with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength. You might think you do, but your spirit's in Christ. You do not. That means everything you do, you do for the love of God. That means you spend time, you spend more time praying than you do watching uh, football. That's when you can even get close to that reality. Until not, don't even begin to say, yes, I love God above all things, because you don't. Huh? So... You put God first. And my way of asking is, do you have a committed daily prayer life? And if the number one answer, if you have a daily prayer life, you know what it is? A men's conference? I try. And then I go, <laughs> you try. You try to eat every day? Whoa, whoa, no father. You try to watch TV every day? Whoa, whoa, no father. What's more important, praying or eating? Well, live it. Don't try to pray. If you stop eating, what happens, gentlemen? You die. Is it God's fault? You stop praying, what happens? You die. Yep. Is it God's fault? Nope. Do you have a daily committed prayer life? No, I try. Do you? I don't explain things to me. I don't waste really minutes in your, your excuses. Well, you know, I'm a busy man. Shut up. I don't want to hear it. Do you pray or don't you pray? No excuses. If someone hurts you, you don't want to hear an excuse for why they hurt you, do they? Like, oh, you know, I beat you because I was having a bad day. Well, then you're not taking responsibility. No, I don't pray every day, Father. Good. Now you know it, now repent of it. Don't sit there and give me your excuse why you don't, because I don't care, okay? Don't I sound really mean? I know. I'm really nice in confession, though, don't worry. But here I gotta be real strong with you. I, my purpose is to make you mad. You know, because if you get mad at me, when you're sitting there, I don't like him. I think he was very arrogant. I didn't like the way he treated me at all. Then when you're laying in bed tonight, you're still gonna be thinking about this, how mad you are at me. 
But now you have to deal with it, don't you? <laughs> I love this guy! Right? You know, this, if you haven't figured it out, this was a stroke of genius by your pastor. I got him to say what I want to say. <laughs> and you can't blame me for it. What's the name? Father Larry Richards. And I'm going to tell you something. Pop, steel-toed shoes. Everybody's got to have them on when you listen to this guy. I'm not kidding you. This guy ought to be a Protestant. That's all I'm going to say. But here's what I will tell you. Is he right? Yes. We make excuses, don't we, about a lot of things as Christians. Do you have an active prayer life? Well, I try. Whap! <laughs> is what he said. I'm like, wow, yeah. So true. You could come up with a thousand reasons why you don't have an active prayer life or why you didn't even maybe pray today. Couldn't you? Something else got in the way, or maybe you just didn't feel like it, but you'll say it was something else. And let's face it, I, I'm, I'm kind of an Adam sometimes. I know God is pursuing me, and I feel like I'm in the garden, and I realize I'm kind of naked and did some dumb things, and so guess what? I, I, I hid. Has anybody ever hidden from God before? He ever done it? Come on. Okay, right? It, see, like he said, when you admit it, now you can repent of it, right? So this is, this is, this is not rocket science. So just admit, Adam said, well, I was afraid, so I hid. I've been afraid to face God before. I have news for you. You're going to face him regardless. You're better to face him sooner than later. Because if you face him later, it might be too late. Anybody? So this is interesting because this message goes beautifully with what Pastor Larry Richards is saying. It explains the things that the Apostle Paul prayed for with the saints at Ephesus. And it ought to be the focus of all of our belief, all the believers' prayers. All of us ought to focus on what he's talking about. It is my intent, believe it or not, to encourage you to pray for one another's, get this, and I, I call them the four F's, fortitude, faith, fullness, and focus. You, why did you use fortitude? I don't, we don't use that word because it's the only F I could come up with. Because I realized that the things we need to pray for are, were F's, except for that one. So I had to find a word. I thought, oh, I can use fortitude. The sources are great. Fortitude, faith, fullness, and focus. Because Paul talks about the fullness here, and he wants you to focus. And so I got two. And then I realized he said faith, and there are now three. So now fortitude comes out because that's what he's talking about. He has already spoken to the believer's spiritual fortunes, there's another F for you, and the believer's spiritual framework, there's another F, and now he speaks to the believer's fortitude. Look at this. In fact, he provides for us this model, this roadmap, as well as the motivation to pray for one another. He gives you the roadmap and the model, the plan, and now he gives you the reason. And he says, motivate yourself to do it. Force yourself to do it even if you don't like it. When I was selling printing, I went through the Xerox professional sales training course. And Xerox is about as good as it gets of training salespeople. And I don't care what you're selling, you go through that class. And if, if you get into it, you have a standing offer to work for Xerox. It, it, they'll give you a try if you get into their class. 
That's how good they believe it. It is. Now, you may not make it with them, but they'll give you a try. So here's the deal. They teach you to make that last sales call, even when, when you don't want to or don't feel like it. Make the last one. Get the last one in every day. So in other words, even if you're servicing your clients and you don't have, haven't had time to make sales calls that day, because everybody, every salesperson, some days are sales days, some days are service days, and some days are just screw-off days, what we call screw-off days. Everybody has them. But here's the deal. You should make at least one sales call every single day. Because if you do, you'll have at least five a week. Because I found that if you don't make at least one, then you aren't going to make any sales. So you have to keep filling the cornucopia, so to speak. And that's what he's talking about here. Pray even when you don't feel like it or don't want to. Because there are going to come days you don't want to. I mean, I mean you, don't, you don't want God to stop his blessings on any given day. So why would you say, well, I'm not going to spend time with you today? You understand? So God says, pray even when you don't feel like it. And so we should pray with the same frequency. There's another F. Okay? The same frequency and resolve. I couldn't find an F for resolve, but you get it, that Paul prayed. In fact, in Ephesians 1.15, Paul said that he never stopped giving thanks for them. And remembering them in his prayers. He never stopped. And so for many years, I may not necessarily pray for each and every one of you by name every day, but I'd never stop remembering this congregation in my prayers. Never stop. Every day, I pray for you. And I'll bet you there's somebody sitting here today that had days this week they didn't pray, and if they did, they prayed for their own stuff, but they didn't pray for anybody here. And this isn't a slap on the hands or how dare you. This is a let's encourage one another to do it. Because if we do, now amazing things can take place, you see. And so we have a main campus here. We have a Mecca campus. And you know what? We can start by praying for those. And then we can pray for the people that are listening or watching online that maybe have nothing, don't go here. And then we begin to pray, get this, for people we don't even know. And then we begin to pray, God forbid, for our enemies. Because isn't that what the Word of God tells us to do? Okay. You'll never pray for your enemies if you won't pray for one another. Amen? It's just, a, it's just the way it's going to, it's where the cookie crumbles. Okay? I know you don't like it when I use food references before lunch, but you understand. Okay? And so we're to, we're to pray for the things that Paul prayed for. And I was thinking that while prayer may be our greatest privilege, it may also be our least practiced spiritual discipline. If, I, I, I just wonder if that's not true. It's, it's possibly our least practiced spiritual discipline. I'm going to ask you to do something here. I, I'm, I, I don't have my glasses on. I can sort of make you out, but I can't visually for sure see you. But if you would be so kind, if you're willing to admit it, who in this congregation, had at least one day this week that you didn't pray. Yeah. You know why? Because you were focused on something else, and it's time slipped away, and before you knew it, it was gone. It's happened, hasn't it? It isn't that you didn't want to pray. It isn't that you didn't have had you know, in your mind to pray. But for whatever reason, you just didn't get there. Anybody have two days they didn't pray? Or three? I'll go in another direction. Did anybody in here not pray at all? 
You don't want to raise your hand. None of us would. Because you know why? Because you know that there's no excuse. Mm -hmm. Don't you? See, and notice I'm saying this with a smile on my face. Because there isn't. There really isn't. If we're honest with each other, because it isn't each other, it's him we're honest with. And God's going to say, you know, whatever you say, it's, it's got not going to be a good excuse. Amen? It's just not. So why even, why even say it? You know? Why even say it if it's not a good one? At least think up a good one. Amen? So we have to understand that this happens in our lives. It may be our least practiced spiritual discipline. And the truth is, prayer is as important to the Christian as breathing is. Have you thought of that? It's as important to pray as it is for you to draw breath. And I'll bet you somebody's going to say, well, no, it's not. Yes, it is. Father Richards just said, if you don't eat, you die. If you don't pray, you Yeah. One is a physical death, the other is a spiritual death. Which one do you choose? Boy, there's some huge truths right there, isn't there? Have you ever, who's, who's ever been fishing? Anybody ever been fishing? Anybody, anybody been fishing? Who's ever caught a fish in here? Come on. Who's ever caught a fish? And when you yank that fish out of the water, you realize in your exhilarance, you're like, wow, I caught a fish. The fish is like, oh, no, I'm out of water. Do you think the fish likes being out of water? How many of you think he really likes that? And then as, you, as you're trying to get the hook out, what's the fish trying to do? Breathe. Not doing very good either, is he? And when and the person doesn't like to touch the fish, get the hook out, have to, it's just more seconds, more minutes while the fish is out. Then you throw the fish there and you're trying to bait your hook, decide where you're going to keep it or not. What's he doing? Gasping. To him, it's kind of important. Isn't it? Now, listen, I, fishing is part of, it's, it's okay to fish. I mean, God gave them to us for that. But friends, I suspect it's not a real, the, the fish that gets caught, it's not a real good day for him. He's having a bad day right now. And he's hoping that you're going to put him back in the water. And he's not going to end up on your dinner table. Or for some people, he's too small to eat, so I'll throw him in my garden for fertilizer. Either way, it's a bad day. Amen? I doubt anybody can hold their breath over a minute. And don't start trying it. I mean, pass it out. Okay? But this is important, and you shouldn't. It's not good for you to do that. And it's also not good to plug your nose. You're trying to sneeze. Who's ever done that? Your heart skips beats as bad. Don't do it. Okay? But you don't want, you know what will happen if you sneeze because you don't have a, you know, a tissue, and it's, it's probably going to be bad. Right? And there's a million reasons why we do it. We're trying to be culturally correct. And I get that. But the fact of the matter is, friends, breath is important. Air is important. Walk to the fish is important. Why would we treat our prayer life any differently? And yet after you leave here today, you're going to forget all about it. But I'm hoping you remember the fish story. Because that's, that's how we learn today. I could tell you the deepest theological secrets and truths, and you'd be like, but you'll remember the fish. So, Prayer life is important. And the fact is, we cannot effectively and faithfully walk with Christ and witness about Christ, nor can we work with Christ without a strong prayer life. 
So no matter what else you're trying to do in your Christian life, it's worthless until you spend time in prayer with Him. And I noticed something. When the chips are down and things are most difficult and everything's out of your control, that's when you start to pray. Who's done that? Right? God's like, oh, sure. Now you come around. Right? Well, he doesn't say that. He's just glad you are. But you understand my point in it. You just, it just can't be done. If you're struggling to witness, if you're struggling to work with Christ on a daily basis, perhaps looking directly at the quality and frequency of your prayer life is probably the first place to start. So why do I need the church? So that I can pray for others and have them pray for me. What would you say if I said, I'm done? You know I'm not. Right, you know I'm not. So, we got to look at these, these Fs, okay? So, we have to pray for one another's fortitude. And I, I got to explain this because fortitude means courage in pain and adversity. Hey, I've had pain and adversity, and I didn't always have courage there. Anybody with me? I, I've been there, but wasn't necessarily courageous. Has anybody been going through something you don't consider yourself to be very courageous? Okay. Well, this is interesting. Notice here that Paul does not pray for property, prestige, promotion, or even prosperity. So let's see, I'll put these things together. F's and P's. It's funny how it just goes together that way sometimes. Paul doesn't pray for those things. He doesn't go to God for things that we can see. He doesn't go to God for things we can taste, smell, touch, or hear. And yet that's exactly what mostly we do. How, how accurate is this here? He doesn't even go there, but we typically do and probably start there even. Or we can't wait to get off the praise of God to get to what we want. Is that, is that, is that accurate? Right? You know how I know? Because I had to practice this a little bit. And I tracked my prayers for about a month and a half. Because sometimes I didn't think about it, and then I had to go back and look at my, oh, I didn't track that. And I, go, and, and I remember what my prayers were, and it stunned me how often they started out about me. <laughs> or maybe even for somebody else, but I never gave God his due. Yeah. And you, you, if you do it, you'll find it to be true. So he doesn't pray for anything Paul doesn't that will make us happy or make us feel good. And that's the first thing we pray for. But Paul doesn't. Now, all these things are fine to pray for, for sure, but Paul focuses on something totally different than these things. He goes to God, get this, for strength. He goes to God for strength. He prays that the saints at Ephesus would be strengthened by the Father through his spirit and into their inner being. That's what he prays for. And that is how I have been redirecting and refocusing my prayers for you and for you. Why? Because I want you to have all of the things that make you happy, that you need, and they'll make you feel good. That's important. But we can't start there. Because when you don't have those things, now you don't have the inner strength to keep going. And the devil will win. I have to pray, and you have to pray, for the fortitude of others. That God would strengthen them and give them courage during pain and adversity. Because those times are going to come, aren't they? They're going to come. Paul knows that being a Christian is going to open people to serious attack. 
Did you know that the devil is more active on Christians than he is non-Christians? And when you have a spiritual victory, he's waiting around the corner. And when you have this amazing prayer time with God, Satan's just waiting to knock it out from underneath of you. I kind of look at the bowling. I'm giving you a lot of these things. The bowling alley. You know, I don't mind going to the bowling alley. I'm not a real big bowler, but I don't mind going. And Beth and I used to do this, what we call Scotch doubles. And so we would go with other couples that were our age. And I was a pastor of the church in South Bend. And we had a lot of friends that would, you know, from the church that would go with us. And the gals would roll the first ball. And I always hoped Beth was really good. And sometimes she was good and sometimes she wasn't so good. And then, then I had to get up and pick up the spare. That's hard to do, you know. And the couples with the best scores obviously win. And so then you had to, if you lost, you had to buy dinner for everybody, which is good. Yeah, it's, you, 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 I just gave you something to do, didn't I? It's wintertime in Indiana. Rock, knock yourself out. And it's not a plug for the bowling alley, but they'll love you for it. So we would do that. And so, and here's the thing. I don't mind going to the bowling alley and knocking down the pins because guess what? The thing scoots, uh, it pushes them back and puts a new set down. But if you have those home ones where you roll the ball and knocks them all down, now you got to go down there and you got to set them all back up. Right? Who's done that with your kids before? Who's got a bowling set at home? Your kids have one. You get sick and tired of going down, sitting the pins back up. Life is like that sometimes. You get sick and tired. Here comes the bowling ball again. Right? I just set these pins up. I just got them where I needed them. Yeah, they're a little skewered. And they're not exactly right. They don't look like they do in the bowling alley, but they're up. Right? And there comes the ball again. You know, think of yourself at the moment as the little machine that keeps resetting them. Oh, here it comes again. See, this is, this is life. It isn't if, but when. And let's face it, sometimes, you know, the ball doesn't, he, he, the devil's not good. He, he only gets a part of you, you know, he, and some of your pins are still standing. And other times, it's a total strike, man. And you're down. You're going to remember this, aren't you? Okay? I'm telling you, I'm really working on my delivery. So this happens. And Paul says, look, I need to pray for you because this attack is going to come. If you're a Christian, I promise you the devil's there. He will be. And just when you think you're strong, here he comes again. You see, Satan and other people are going to be out to harm you. He'll use people to harm you. Maybe they don't even mean for that to happen, but he still uses them, and they allow him to. They, they slander us. They may throw up every kind of roadblock, generally cause dysfunction of every kind. And some of you could give a testimony to that, couldn't you? Paul knows that we have to pray for one another's fortitude to stand during the most difficult times of life. And isn't it great to know that we can pray for Jesus to carry others when they can no longer carry themselves? You know you can't jump in their life and do it for them. You know, as parents sometimes, we try to do things for our children that we should not. Sometimes you got to let them experience life a little bit and get some knocks. You know why? Because if you protect them from everything, when they get to be an adult and you can no longer protect them, two, two rules of thought here, and they're absolutely true. Life isn't fair, and society does not care. It says it does, but it doesn't. You can write that down too, aren't you? 
Life isn't fair. Society doesn't care. They'll tell you how much they are because they're called politicians. But here's the deal, my friends. Christ can carry people when they can no longer carry themselves. And you might be the only way that happens because you prayed for it. Remember he said, whatever you will ask, I will do it. We're going to get into that here in a little bit. Now, Paul said that praying for one another during dark times is the law of Christ. That's the law. Praying for one another during the dark times. Are you listening to me here? Do I have your full attention? Because I need it. Here, I'm going to put my glasses on. I think some of you aren't listening. Oh. Oh. Woo. You saw that, didn't you? I didn't have you guys in mind, but I got my eye on you now. Okay. <laughs> I'm animated today. That's okay. So here's, Amanda, you can just. <laughs> yeah, you guys, hey, listen, you can do it too if somebody's not listening. Here's, we're going to play a game. If somebody's playing on their phone, not listening, call them out to me. We do that? <laughs> oh, you want to hear that? Somebody's going to say, I ain't going to that church again. <laughs> All right. Well, you didn't know we got hidden cameras. Craig put cameras up. Did you guys know that? <laughs> he didn't. He didn't. No, I don't know what you did. But anyway, so Paul said that praying for one another during dark times is the law of Christ. That's the law. That means you have to do it. If Christ has a law, we better obey it. Amen? He said praying for one another is the law of Christ. Galatians 6.2, carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. There it is. Clearly, friends, we should indeed pray for one another. In fact, Paul continues in Ephesians 6, 18, pray at all times in the spirit with every prayer and request and stay alert in this with all perseverance and intercession for all the saints. In other words, you should spend more time praying for others than you do yourself. That's what he said. I'll bet you, I'll bet you nobody in here really does that all the time. You should spend more time praying for others than you do yourself. And who are you going to pray for? Well, I'll pray for my loved ones, the ones that depend on me, the ones I really like. And then God's going to bring that person you don't like to your mind. Mm -hmm. And what are you going to do? Now you've got a decision to make. Amen? And then God's going to say, what about that person that you just can't stand? What about the one that hates you? You going to pray for him? Are you? See? You see, friends, when we intercede for one another, we should ask God to strengthen our fellow believers, to the core of their inner being. Not just to fix the situation they're in, because what's going to happen when that's done? Are they going to go spend time with God? No, they're going to do their own thing. But if you, if you pray for God to move to the inner core, now we've got movement. Now the person belongs more to Christ than it, he does the world. Because some people are fighting that battle within. They're partially with God, but the world's got a little bit more of them, you know? And then somewhere along the line, we get a little closer, and God's got a little bit more, but the world's still hanging on, right? Like it's dragging you, holding on, like this weight. You've all been there. But we pray for their inner core. Now they pull away from the world, and they start to realize they can go without the world. And guess what? Satan's like, <clears throat> well, you're going to come back and try again. And then when... You, you pray so hard that they're, he's off of them, now he's going to come looking for you. Huh? Okay? Isn't that the way that works? So that's what's, and Paul says, you got to pray for that because now, here's the beauty, now that person is praying for you, see? And God's going to do it. 
the church would be stronger if we prayed for one another like that. It really, really would. And that's what he's trying to say. Okay? Strengthen his spirit within people. And when it happens, friends, it strengthens people with his strength. When it's complete, it hits every core of who they are. And that's important because Satan can't get in another way then. Because sometimes we pray for specific things and we strengthen the things that we see. And God says, but you're vulnerable over here and you didn't even pray for it. You didn't, right? We pray for the obvious things. God says, strengthen to the core. Now I can do something. But I have to have all of you to do it. I can't strengthen your core if your core doesn't belong to me. You see? And this is what Father Richards is trying to say. And that's what Paul is writing. And it's so true. Satan can't get in any other way now because God himself is doing the protecting of you. I want God to protect me. Amen? When we pray for other Christians to be strengthened in their fortitude, God does it. He does it because he promised that he would. Didn't he promise that he would? John 14, 13, Mark 11, 24, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. I take strong, strong belief in that, that God's going to do it. And when it happens, more Christians are going to be strengthened. Our fortitude and our core are built. Friends, you know what happens then? Then the church itself is strengthened. And if you're going to put an end to a weak, wishy-washy, defeated church, you're going to have to fill it with strong Christians. That's what it's going to take. Strong Christians. And together, not just one or two in a church, but the whole darn thing. Now your church is back on the map. Now your church, the Church Universal, is back in the game of society where it belongs. Now our voice will be heard again. Right? And so we're going to have to pray for one another intercession, asking the Father to do it. And the church will be prominent in society once more. And we need the church to be prominent in society. Otherwise, society is going to do what it wants. And that's not Christian at all. Amen? You can see it today. Secondly, we have to pray for each other's faith. Now, the source, again, of our fortitude is God the Father, because he says the Father here. Remember, I told you we're going to come back to that. This is how the Trinity really comes into understanding for us. First of all, God is just three in one person, yeah? Now, some churches today are going to say, no, there's no such thing. I know pastors don't believe in a Trinity. Stunning, but they don't. I'm not going to tell you who they are. But the fact of the matter is, God the Father is God, but he manifested himself in person through Jesus Christ, the Son, in order to teach us as a human. Agreed? Didn't he? Okay. And then he came down to our level as a human, so to, so to speak, and taught us as a person as he lived among us. You understand that? He lived among us. And so we related to him better in this way than we did when he was this, this entity in heaven that we didn't quite understand all the time. Jesus bridged the gap between us and the Father through the personhood of the Christ. You understand? That's what he did. And that's the best way I can say it. And with the gift of the Spirit that he gave us, he is actually able to live within us. That's why he said, I will make my home among them, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. And that's how he did it, through his Spirit. And aren't you grateful for the Spirit that lives within you? Okay, so that's what he did. So the Father is the source, the Son is the provider, and the supplier of our fortitude is the Spirit, because that's who's with us now. It was the Father 
then it was the Son, and now it's the Spirit. And in the Spirit, we have all three. It was always all three, but a different one was with the people at different times in history. Amen? So now the Spirit is with us during the church age. So the Spirit lives in and through us. So what happens here is our inner person is strengthened when our fortitude is augmented. That's what really happens. And so the only way this happens is that the center of our faith is in Jesus Christ. If you don't believe in Jesus Christ, you can't get it. You understand? You don't believe in him, you can't get it. You might as well just stop right there. If you don't believe in him, you're not going to get strength in your fortitude. He can't fill you if you don't belong to him. And if you don't believe he's going to do what he said he's going to do, then he's not going to do anything in you. How can he? Your faith is what has done it. I gave you examples. The woman who had, who had the hemorrhage went and said, all I have to do is touch his garment. If I, just, if I just touch his garment, I'll be healed. She didn't ask Jesus for anything. She just, by faith, thought it would happen. She touched his garment, and the Bible says Jesus felt the power leave him. And what did he say to her? Who touched me? And the crowd parted, and there she was. And I think she was a little bit sheepish at the time. And you know what he said to her? He wasn't upset with her. He said, woman, your faith has healed you. Uh, he, he didn't have to put his hand on her or do anything. Her faith did it. Yeah, your faith can do a lot. Without it, you can do nothing. See, this is, this is the key. You got to know that he's going to do it. Now, notice, friends, if you don't have faith, how can he do whatever's necessary? Because he can't. So it won't happen. And notice the first clause in verse 17 where he says, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. You see, Christ, the Christian journey is actually what I call a faith journey. It's a faith journey. We not only have to trust Christ for salvation, we also have to trust him for the next level of sanctification. You understand that? Initial sanctification, progressing sanctification as we learn and grow, and then entire sanctification when the work is completed in us. And even then, we're not done. So this happens, and we not only have to trust Christ to be delivered from hell, but we also have to trust Christ to be developed in our holiness. If you're going to trust Christ to, to deliver you from hell and get salvation, then you better start trusting him, right, for your augmentation into sanctification and your holiness. Because he says, he, did, he, he doesn't demand anybody get saved, but he does demand that you be holy. Right? He didn't, he didn't demand anybody get saved. He offered it to you. But once you do... What does he demand? Be holy because I am holy. God demands when you choose that you be like him. And so, friends, we can't be holy like God in the way he demands if we don't trust Christ to do it. And that's faith. So when our faith in Christ grows, the world can see his life within us. I think that's important. They will see his love in us because we're built, established, and live in a love that they have never seen before. Right? They don't really, the world doesn't know what love really is. It doesn't, okay? And once it's in you, it's there. And so everything you do, no matter what it is, even if you're disciplining someone, is out of love. But before you had Christ, you didn't necessarily do things out of love, did you? You understand the difference? So then what happens is they see God's logic in us. You're like, wait a minute. You always said God isn't logical. He's not to us, but to him he is. To, what, to God, everything he does makes perfect sense. And it won't to us until we meet him. Yeah? Agreed? Isn't that true? Okay. So 
but they'll start to see God's logic in us as we start to impart who He is within ourselves. Because the more like Christ you are, the more logical of God you'll be. You understand? And they start to see it. So we're unable to comprehend this immense gravity and depth of God's love without God showing and explaining it to us. None of us could. And so now we've got to take it to a people that won't understand it either. You understand? They won't understand it. And so once we understand the how and the why of God's love, we're able to not only show it to others, but explain why we do it too. I've had people say to me, why, why, why would you do that for me? You gain nothing from it. Yes, I do. Yes, I do. You, you can't really explain that to people. But you understand, amen? Because that's what Jesus did. It makes no earthly sense for him to come down as a human and die on the cross for people that didn't want it anyway. But he did, didn't he? In the hope that somebody eventually would want it. <laughs> that's not a risk people would usually take. But he did. Because he thought it was worth it. You would say, that's not logical. God says, oh, yes, it is. If I save one, it's logical. Amen? The difference. Humans will begin to see it. You see, human love doesn't manifest itself in everything as God's love does. In fact, when humans do certain things, it'll be clear that it wasn't done out of love. Right? They may say it is, but it isn't. But even unpleasant things a Christian has to do can be seen as done in love when God's in it. And so we have to model after the Apostle Paul and pray for one another's faith that they would see the death of God. For, because in this way, others will see our faith, they'll notice God's moving and the results due to our own faith. And I like it when people see that I prayed and God did something. Amen? I prayed for it and God moved. That is powerful with people, isn't it? And when you pray and people know you're praying and God does something that wasn't possible before, that, friends, well, you can't put a price on it. That's powerful to people. And so what happens? They'll notice God's moving and the results, and maybe, just maybe, they'll want it too. So you can imagine what would happen if every Christian lived that way. Yep, the church would be strengthened and established once again to prominence in our society because God's moving would be undeniable. That's why you need the church. <laughs> okay, thirdly, we have to pray for one another's fullness. Remember he said fullness here. Too many Christians, I think, are only partly filled today. I want the whole thing. Anybody? So when Paul prays for the saints that they would be established in love, they would know the love of Christ, and that they would be filled with all the fullness of God, he is essentially praying for their compassion development and their character development. The two things. Passion development and character development. That's what Paul's praying for. Now, Jesus said that the greatest commandment in the law is to love the Lord, your God, with all your heart, your mind, your soul, and your strength, and the second is to love your neighbor as yourself. Now, uh, Pastor Larry talked about that briefly in that, but he didn't talk about loving your neighbor as yourself. He does later on, but he did in that segment. Now, when Paul listed the fruits of the Spirit, he is revealing the character of Christ that's developed in us and comes through us in Galatians. He said that there are things in you, if you're a Christian, that have to be there. I want to explain that. When I begin to read the list of the fruit of the Spirit, I know that I haven't always displayed all of those things. Has anybody done that? You read the list, you're like, eh, I kind of blew it on that one, right? I kind of blew that one. 
It isn't like spiritual gifts, you know. We kind of mix them up sometimes. You know, in spiritual gifts, there's a list of spiritual gifts, and you might have one or two or three of them, but you don't have the others. But then you have a friend or a family member who's got these, and you don't have those, and they're different. Everybody has different spiritual gifts, yeah? And you're not supposed to have all of them. God doesn't give them all to everybody. But fruit of the Spirit, everybody's got to have them, all of them, all of them. Fruits of the Spirit are the things that every Christian has to have within them. And not only have them, but they are also to be developed and powerful within every single Christian. Okay? You're going to like some of them better than others. That doesn't mean the ones you don't like so much, you leave on the back burner and don't develop them. Right? That's what we'll do, though. God's like, no, 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 no. You develop all of these things, even the ones you don't much care for. Okay? Because I put them in you for a reason. You see, this is what Paul is saying about modern Christians. We're not filled with these fruits because we're not completely filled with his spirit. And he's talking about the fullness of Christ. You can't pick and choose. This isn't Burger King. You can't have it your way. You can't go in and say, I have this, this, and not that or that. No. God says, all of these things ought to be in you. And we are to pray that God will fill all of us to completion, that he would fill others to the fullness of himself. And guess what? If we prayed for, for that and God did it, here we go again. What would the church look like? See the pattern? And let's talk about the elephant in the room. Jealousy. You ready? Jealousy. Friends, you're going to have to be happy. In Christ, you're going to have to be happy when somebody in the church is more successful than you are. When they have things you don't. When they look better than you do. When they're skinnier or taller or whatever it happens to be, who cares? Isn't it about that? Jealousy is a killer. And we will not like somebody because they look better than we do, because they sing better, because they have a better fortitude. There's that word. Because they are thinner, more talented. Really? Come on. We got, we got to talk about this. That is killing the inner sanctum of the church. And I know for a fact that somebody in here has done it. You won't be friends with somebody because they look better than you do. They need less makeup, I guess. Or maybe they have, for guys, maybe they have more hair than you do. I don't know. Look, I, look friends, I, I, I got to be honest with you. I'm going to skip my notes here. This is where I'm at. I, I really don't, I'm not jealous of people like that. I, I, I'm, I'm, not, I'm, I'm grateful that, that God has delivered me. I'm, never, I'm, not, I'm not jealous. If, if you do something better than me, good for you. You look better than me. If you're a better Christian, good for you. Because I, I, I'm just going to make myself better. I'm going to be all I can be. I'm not jealous of you. And I'm grateful that I'm not. But I know people that, are, that struggle with it. And they'll tell me that they do. Don't. You are not measured against other people. God doesn't measure you against people. He measures you against himself. You want to be the best you can be in God's sight? Be like him in every way. Don't worry about what you look like, how big or small you are, how much talent you have or not. Just use what God's given you to the, your best ability. Do that. Amen?
that will make a difference. So guess what happens if we pray for other people and ask God to augment them and give them things that even we wish we had? <laughs> That's unselfish. And God's going to do it. And all you, all you can do is hope that they'll pray for you in the same ways, that God will give you what he wants you to have. And if the church did that, we'd be powerful. We'd be right back in the game in society. Amen? Lastly, we have to pray for one another's focus. Focus. And I have to tell you, I have to have these things because I can't focus on anything without them. I can look right here, and I'm just fine. But if I look up here, well, now i got a problem. I can drive because I can see the sign, but here's what's going to happen. If I'm driving without my glasses, I can see on the road. I'm good. But is this my exit? <laughs> yep, that was my exit. That happens because I can't see what's on the sign. That's a problem. Right? Some people have to do this, or, or they're, they're like this, and then they're, they're driving along, and then all of a sudden they they're, they're, see the red and blue lights behind them, and they're like, the first thing they do, look down the speedometer, right? I'm like, I can't see it. i to do this. Because everybody has different sight perception. So, you know, but focus is important. If you can't focus on something, you've got a problem. Some people can't focus on anything, glasses or not. Right? Some people even have to take medication because they can't focus in school or on their job or whatever. Because our minds are elsewhere all the time. But they're usually really creative people, by the way. So it's give and take, you know. It's like if I get the laser surgery, now I probably have to have glasses to do this. So I think I'll stick with what I've got. <laughs> right? That's life. And so it's the same with people. You know, I'm not creative. My stick figures are deformed, I'm telling you. I've got no artistic ability at all. Zero. And people that draw, I look at that and I'm like, it's <laughs> never going to happen. I couldn't develop it if I wanted to. But I can read book after book after book, and I will absorb it. I don't need pictures. That's a gift God's given me, right? And some of you wish you could read like that and get it. But you wouldn't want to draw like I do. <laughs> I promise you. Okay, you, you understand? We're just different. But our focus is the same. Why? Because it's easy to focus on our problems than it is our resource. We will focus on the problems more than the resource. Have you noticed that? I don't, I don't have time to get into all this today. But I will tell you that Paul concludes here by showing that God is bigger than any problem, any challenge, any dream or vision that we may have. God's bigger than whatever you're facing. But you don't ever know that while you're going through it. And somehow, someway, after you've done it every other way and you didn't get it done right, you'll go back and say, you should just focus on God in the first place. Anybody? Right? That's the way it goes. It's hard to know the difference sometimes. And I began to think about it a little bit, and I realized that Satan wants you to focus on your problem. How many of you know that Satan wants you to focus on the problem that you have? He would much rather Christians run around screaming, the sky is falling, the sky is falling. Wouldn't he? Chicken Little is a cute cartoon, yeah? And we laugh about something of that nature when we hear it. And yet sometimes it's exactly what we do when we focus on the problem rather than the source. 
when we ignore the infinite divine source who is able to do everything over and above whatever we need, then yes, I suppose the sky really is falling. But it doesn't have to, does it? Because praying for others before ourselves is a greater blessing. When we pray for one another, we have to pray that God will help us to ask great things of God for he, because he's able to do above everything we ask, to attempt great things for God according to the power that works in us, and not only that, but to anticipate great things from God because he wants to bring glory to his church. When, when you ask God to do those things, he's going to do it. When you're not self-centered about it and you don't have ulterior motives, God's going to do it. Now, there might be something God won't do because you don't see the bigger picture and can't understand. But when we meet him, we'll know. That's a fact. Can you imagine what would happen if we prayed for every Christian to place their focus and their priority on God? And God did it in them? And that we would go to him before anything else, including ourselves and themselves? Can you imagine if the church did that? What would God do? He would move. He would move mightily. And, and you know what? Would that be noticed? Yeah. If God's church is moving and God's doing things, they're going to take notice. Society will take notice that God's church is moving because God's in it. God's in it. Instead of being a bunch of individuals in a church, maybe we could come together. Instead of being different pockets of churches and Christians all over the city, maybe we could come together. And that's exactly what our ministerial association is trying to do, isn't it? Isn't it? That's exactly what we're trying to do. I'm not jealous of other churches. I'm not. Sure, I wish we had more resources sometimes. Sure, I wish we had more dedicated people sometimes. Sure, I wish we had more talented people to come in and do more things that we could do. Sure. Every, I think, do you think they don't? It's, yeah, it doesn't matter how much you have, you want more, right? Some churches don't have anybody that can do it, and they still have church. They're still praising him, okay? That's the point. You see, God would move. The church would be strengthened, put right back on the stage of modern society, and others would see their need for the church in our strengths and our successes. I want people to see their need for God in our strengths and successes. That's what I want. And the only way we get there is if we pray for one another and we put our focus where it belongs. Amen? We have to. What a concept, except it isn't really a concept. It's a proven reality because God says it is. As our worship team comes, friends, the priesthood of believers, and that's a talk in the Emmaus community. Anybody, Emmaus people, you know what I'm talking about. It's a, it's a lay talk called the priesthood of all believers. And it suggests that all believers can pray. And if they don't, then they really don't want to. That's what the talk says. If you don't pray, then you really don't want to. Because there's no such thing, as Father Richard said, of trying to pray. Either you pray or you don't. The word of God is rather clear. We have to pray. We have a responsibility to pray. And there are many things and people to pray for, yeah? Many people, many things. And when we pray, we have to pray for one another's fortitude. We've got to pray for one another's faith. We have to pray for one another's fullness and one another's focus. Pray for others before yourself. To the glory of God and the benefit of his kingdom and church. 
Let's put the church back on the forefront of respectability, back on the forefront of authority, and back in influence in our society because Lord knows it needs it. Anybody? Stay Thanks for listening to the Free Life Community Church Podcast. For more great biblically sound teaching, visit freelifecc.com.